Um, we're done with Matthew, right? But that doesn't mean I can't make references to Matthew, which is what I'm going to do today. Um, but just, just as an introduction. But let me pray, and then we'll uh, start a new series on spiritual gifts, okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person here. Um, thank you for the beauty of the church, the, uh, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, explore the concept of the body of Christ and spiritual gifts and using them to serve one another, um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make it clear what our gifts are and how we are uh, to use them for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as I've said many times, probably the, the parable that I've referred to more than any other is the parable of the talents, maybe tied for the parable of the four soils, uh, because I think those two parables uh, give us a framework of how to think of the gospel and the church and everything that the Bible has to say. But let me remind you of the parable of the talents as kind of an intro to get into this topic of spiritual gifts. Parable of the talents is, is this. Jesus says there was a business owner. He represents God. He gave three employees some resources called talents. Now, in the story, talents are money, but I think the, the talents represent all kinds of resources that God has given you and me. And the agenda is this. As employees, we're to increase business. Or a better way to put it, as servants of the king, we're to use our resources to expand the kingdom. There's an accounting day at the end of the parable where people give an account for what they did with their resources. And without going through all the details, here's the bottom line. We, if we're true believers, should long to hear the king tell us on judgment day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the, the moral of the story of the, of the talents. We want to use our talents to expand the kingdom so we will hear our Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what I want to do is help us to discover what our resources are. God has given every one of you who's a believer a spiritual gift. And what we want to do is find those gifts. So I want to kind of turn this into a workshop. It, this is not just for intellectual stimulation. Um, the, the goal here is to apply this by discovering your spiritual gift and get plugged in and use it to serve. Now, you say, what's a spiritual gift? Well, uh, throughout Scripture, the apostles list various lists of, of gifts, of talents, uh, that we can use to serve one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, there's two lists. In Ephesians 4, uh, there's a list. In Romans 12, there's a list. Actually, in 1 Peter, there's a list also. So what I hope to do today and in the following weeks uh, is touch on each one of these gifts. Right? Now, before we get into looking at the various gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a big-picture theology 
of spiritual gifts. And let me, uh, let me sum it up. Hope you can see the bottom here. But let me sum it up with these three words. The, word, the words common good, specialization, and dependence. Uh, to understand the concept of spiritual gifts. Those are three words you need to get. Uh, first is the word common good. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To every single Christian, to each, is given a spiritual gift. So sometimes when Christians talk about spiritual gifts and you say, well, what's your spiritual gift? Sometimes people go, well, I don't think I got one. When God passed them out, he overlooked me. No. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, a spiritual gift. Okay? But now, uh, the other thing that goes on is sometimes Christians discover their spiritual gift. In fact, there's online tests that you can take to discover your spiritual gift. Uh, I don't know what we did before computers. I, I think the best way to find your spiritual gift is called trial and error. You just try to serve and if it's not working real well, you try something else, and then you try something else, and then you find out what you're good at, okay? But um, here's, here's the, the other error. Sometimes people go, oh, my gift is, and they name their gift, teacher or compassion or whatever, and they've discovered their gift, and that's as far as it goes. No, it's really not your gift. It's the church's gift given by God through you. That's why he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, if you just identify your gift, but you're not using it to serve the body, you're missing the whole point. I like to give this illustration. Let's say uh, after the service today, I'm walking out to the car and somebody says, oh, pastor, um, I missed the offering. Here's $100. Could you make sure that gets into the collection? And I think to myself, hey, I'm a part of this church. And I pocket the $100 myself. Now, I have stolen a gift to the church. If you have a gift that is for the common good, it's not enough to just identify it you need to use it for the common good. And ultimately, why? Because we want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. So the first concept, common good. Second is the idea of specialization. We don't all have the same gift. We have unique gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And um, we'll get into all the, the intricacies of that. But I want you to see the big picture. Not all of our gifts are the same. We understand the concept of specialization when it comes to business and when it comes to sports, right? There, there are secretaries are different than brain surgeons who are different than receptionists and different than 
than painters. We all specialize and we do a better job when we specialize than when we're all generalists uh, in, in sports. Now, when the kids are little, playing flag football, every kid gets to be the quarterback. Even though Johnny, last time, every time he threw the ball, he threw an interception, it's his turn to be quarterback, so let him be quarterback, right? But as you get older, you find out uh, you're not a good quarterback, but you're 320 pounds, and you love to hurt people, you're a defensive lineman, right? And that's a good thing. You find out your, your specialization, and you work on that. Well, the same is true here. You find out what you're good at, and you specialize. Now, that doesn't mean that's all you do. I like to equate um, the church as kind of a family gathering, a, a family reunion, uh, where everybody brings their own dish, and we have the potluck, and we have fun, but when it's time to clean up, there are certain things where everybody pitches in. Okay, So don't go, well, I have the gift of encouragement, and I will just sit here while everybody else does all the, the menial work. Okay, but So there's common things that we share, but there are also special things that we need to zero in on. So that's the, the, uh, the concept of specialization. But then there's the concept of dependence. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, um, God has strategically made it so you cannot be a lone ranger Christian. A lot of lone ranger Christians today who say, well, I read my Bible, I listen to sermons on the internet, um, I'm fine not being part of a church. Those who are not part of a church, there's no way they can live out 1 Corinthians 12. We need you, you need us. And the Lone Ranger Christian, that the whole concept that that's even biblical is destroyed by 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right? We need one another to function. It's kind of like if your eyeball just one day decides to pop out and it just sits on the table and says, I don't need the rest of you. Wait a minute, you need the nerve system to connect to the brain so, it can, uh, so you can be useful and you can tell the arms where to go and what to do. You know, we're all connected. We need one another. So those are the three concepts that are kind of the, the theology of of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. We, we have gifts for the common good. We need to specialize, and we need to be dependent on one another. So now, let's talk about the individual gifts. Now, uh, first gift, the gift of pastor. And you go, that's a gift? Well, in Ephesians 4, it's listed as an office, but it talks about God giving gifts to the church. So yes, it is a gift. What is it? Well, it is the office or the gift of leading a church or a flock, primarily through the teaching of God's word. Okay, so the picture is of a shepherd leading the sheep. And now the shepherd brings the sheep to green pastures so they can eat. In the church, the pastor uh, leads the flock, 
by feeding them the word of God. Now, you say, well, uh, you don't need to spend much time on this one. You're the pastor. We're not. Let's move on. Not so fast. How many pastors are at Valleybrook? Go ahead, throw out a number. Huh? Come on. Fifty. No, well, no, we're not all pastors. <laughs> no, well, no, two. There's, there's Pastor Todd and Pastor Brian, but there's Pastor Dan and Pastor Kevin also. What? Yeah. The term pastor or shepherd, that's the biblical term, pastor and elder are synonyms and overseer. Those are synonymous terms. They mean the same thing. Here in 1 Peter 5, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, not a pope, but a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and the one who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds or pastors of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. The, the term elder, pastor, and overseer are synonyms all referring to the same office. Okay, So, the elders of a church are the pastors. Now, uh, Paul talks in 1 Timothy about those elders whose work is teaching are worthy of double honor. And what that means is it's okay to pay some of them who's, who have full-time jobs teaching um, and, and having other full-time uh, occupations in the church. But then the assumption is there are other pastors or elders who aren't full-time and they aren't paid. But the idea is the elders are the pastors. Now, never is a church to have just one pastor. Okay? Where do you get that? Well, here Paul and Barnabas plant churches in the Galatian region. And it says in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. Elders pastors for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. On the little island of Crete, there were churches in each of the little cities. And Paul writes to Titus and says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders, pastors, in every town as I directed you. Why should a church have elders or pastors so you don't have a Hitler? Right? So the pastor is accountable, uh, accountable to a board of co-equals. Right? Now, administratively, I think it's legit for there to be a leader amongst equals to show up with the agenda and so forth. Um, but the biblical concept is that every church is to have a plurality of elders as the pastors over the church. Now, you go, oh, well, I'd like to try that. Um, the elders need to be qualified men. What do you mean by that? Well, here in 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives 
15 qualifications to be an elder. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires, the NIV says desires, <clears throat> to the office of overseer, by the way, pastor, elder, right? If anyone desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, so, so what that tells you is how does God get elders in a local church? First of all, there's an internal desire where a guy says, you know what, I think God might be able to use me as an elder. Right? There, there is an internal calling. But the internal calling is then evaluated by 15 external, observable, objective qualifications. Uh, and I won't read them all. Uh, but here they are. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, the whole, the whole list here. So what that tells you is God calls a man to be an elder, a pastor, by giving an internal desire confirmed by 15 external confirmations. Okay? So, you may say, hey, I feel like I should be the pastor or a pastor. That's good. Let's see how you do. Check, 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 check. Okay? In fact, uh, some of the leaders in the church, we're, we're meeting and we're going over this list of qualifications uh, just to see how we're doing. Okay? Now, um, practically, what does this mean? Well, it might mean that God could someday call you to be a pastor, elder. If you're not, though, what should our attitude toward the elders be? In um, Hebrews, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account I have to stand before God and give an account for your soul. Right? So before you go, hey, I'd like to be in charge around here, realize that you will stand before God and give an account for how you led this flock. Okay, the elders are trembling right now. And we should be. We should be. Because that's a, a very high calling. So, um, what should the attitude toward... That's funny. When you disagree with a decision, usually it's Dan, Brian, and Kevin, those guys. They're just ordinary people. But when you agree, oh, the elders, like it's God itself, you know. Um, we, we can bring people down. We can elevate them. But there is to be a respect for the leaders... Submission to the leader. Not a blind submission, but a, a reverent submission. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, I would just ask you to respect, pray for, follow your elders, because these men take it seriously. All right, so that's the first gift. Um, boy, we only have 20 more to go. So let's talk about... The gift of teaching. The gift of being able to effectively communicate God's word. 
Now, let me ask this question. How much of the spiritual gifts are supernatural in nature versus just kind of natural talents and abilities that God can use? Okay? Um, Let me put it this way. I think some people have an overly mystical view of spiritual gifts, while others have an overly natural view of spiritual gifts. What do I mean? Well, let's, let's talk about teaching. Is, is teaching a supernatural thing where God just puts the message in your mind and you speak it and you speak it well? Or is, is it a human ability that God can use? Well, let me talk about the overly mystical view. When we were first in ministry, we went to this little church in Wisconsin, and uh, there was going to be a women's retreat. And my wife went on the women's retreat. And she came back, and I said, how was it? She goes, it was terrible. And why? Well, the woman who was leading the retreat, they all gathered in a, in a, a hall somewhere, and she sat up on a stool and started weeping. And she said, God usually gives me a message, but he's given me nothing. Absolutely nothing. And she started crying, and then all the other ladies started crying. And that, Now, if you were to ask the other ladies, how was the retreat? They would say, it was great. Lots of emotion. Elizabeth said, it was terrible. She didn't prepare. She expected God to drop a message fully done in her mind and for her to just start. That's the view some people have of spiritual gifts. That there's no effort. It's just the Holy Spirit taking over the robot and magic happens. You know, Timothy was a pastor. Therefore, he needed to be able to teach. He had the gift of teaching. Yet look what Paul says. This is the King James Study to shew thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, study. Open the book. Sweat. Cross-reference. Do the hard work of a teacher. You know, Paul, who did receive divine revelation from God, was also a student of the word. He's dying in prison, and in his last paragraph, this is what he writes. He says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. These men were students. So, here's a little hint. Let me give you some hints as we go. Those with the gift of teaching are readers and students. In other words, just because you may have the gift of gab and are able to explain things well, doesn't mean you have the the spiritual gift of teaching. The spiritual gift of teaching is filled in with content that is arrived at from a diligent study of the Word of God. Okay? So, Um, That's the overly uh, supernatural view of teaching. Now, let me talk about the underly 
supernatural view, the overly natural view of teaching. Some people go, yep, it's hard work, and you study, and you do your cross-referencing, and you learn your Greek, and you learn your whatever, and then you just show up, and you persuade those people of the truth. You, you, uh, it, and it's up to my ability to make you get it. I think that's an overly natural view. There has to be a supernatural element when it comes to communicating the word of God. We see this when Paul goes to uh, uh, Philippi. He finds a group of ladies and he shares the gospel with them. And there's a woman named Lydia. And in Acts 16 it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The assumption is the others didn't. The others didn't get it. But here, Paul does his study and his preparation, but God does the work in him being able to communicate it well and Lydia's heart being opened. There is a supernatural element. Right? Now, here's, a, here's a, a way to tell if you might be a teacher. Teachers live somewhere between the tension of James 3.1 and 1 Corinthians 9.16. What's that tension? Well, here it is. James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a reverence for teaching. There's a holy fear. Because the minute you take on the mantle of teaching other people what God's word says, you are now accountable not only for you, but for those you influence. And scripture says you shouldn't too quickly jump in to that position because you will be accountable. You better know what you're doing is what this is saying. Okay? Now, um, on the other hand, there's this tension. There's Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I mean, in my lifetime, there's been times uh, in between school and pastoring when I'm not officially pastoring. I have to teach. I'll start a Bible study. I, I can't not teach. So there's this fear of I'm accountable for those I influence, but I have to teach. It's kind of like a, a, a musical performer. Musicians, you know you love music, you love to practice, you love to play, but it doesn't make any sense unless you're actually letting others enjoy your gift. The teacher has to teach, but he knows or she knows that uh, there's a high accountability Involved Now, practically, you go, how do you get involved as a teacher here? Well, this is how you should get involved as a teacher in any church. You wake, work your way up through the system. What do you mean? Well, um, we would be foolish to just say, hey, you think you're a teacher? You teach this small group or you teach this. What you do is you start to go to a small group. And you participate. And the leader and the others go, wow, so-and-so really knows what they're talking about. And then at some point, the leader says, hey, 
I'm going to be gone next time. Could you lead? And you try it. And you see how it goes. And after a while, people go, so-and-so's really on board. You know? Um, and then you're a small group leader over time. O- or with children's ministry. Uh, instead of us sticking you right in from the beginning, you should probably become a teacher's assistant. Right? Talk to Ashley and uh, assist. And after you see how it's done around here and you learn then it might be time to actually teach a lesson. And in other words, teachers need to be known because we're given these great warnings in Scripture that there are wolves out there and inside of churches. Therefore, we need to see you over time. Now, don't worry. We have a great need for teachers, so please. But, But you can't just say, I'm sitting in the pew... And then I expect to be used as a teacher. Get involved. Be known. Okay? All right. So then let me, um, let me, quick, let me, let me see if I can combine these. Leadership and administration. Leadership. The gift of being able to motivate people to accomplish goals. Administration. The gift of being able to accomplish goals through the organiz- organizing and directing Uh, and directing people and resources. So this is um, motivating people to accomplish goals. The the administration, here's the key word, organizing. If there's any difference between a leader and an administrator, it's it's this. Um, Administration deals with the details of getting the job done, while leadership deals more with the big picture. Now, these two overlap. They're not two independent things. Um, But there's, at least on paper, a difference between leading and administrating. I like to to give this illustration. Um, Let's say there's a team of people with machetes needing to cut through a jungle and go from point A to point B. The administrator is into the details. People, we have some number 15 machetes here. We're going to issue them to you. And here's how you cut with this motion, and then the, you pull it out with this motion. And then we're, uh, we have a, a water break scheduled at this time, and then we're going to turn left here, and we're going to go here. We're going to camp overnight, and they've got all the details worked out. That's the administrator. The leader, on the other hand, he's the one who climbs up the tree and goes, we're in the wrong jungle. Right? He's the big picture guy. Okay? Um, a person, here's a hint. A person with the gift of administration is frustrated with disorganization, but not panicked by it. The person with the gift of administration looks at a messy church or a messy organization and says, I could bring some order to this. My, my wife has the gift of administration. She's never seen a sock drawer that she couldn't organize, right? Uh, Here's a hint to to tell if you have the gift of administration. Look at your life, look at your desk, look at your garage, look at your closets. Are they organized? Are they in order? Do you have to have them, all the certain color shirts in one section and the pants? Or is it more just chaos? You probably don't have the gift of administration, okay? Now, um, so, so that's the gift of administration. How about the gift of leadership? 
Here's a hint. Just because you have the title of a leader doesn't make you a leader. John Maxwell says this. If you think you're leading but nobody's following, you're just out taking a walk. Okay? The lowest level of leadership is just raw authority. Do it because I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm the dad, so you do it. I'm the pastor, so we're doing that. The lowest level of authority is just raw, or lowest level of leadership is raw authority. Now, sometimes you need to use raw authority. Sometimes Jesus used raw authority. But the highest level of leadership, motivation, is love. Okay? Um, now, here's another hint. Be careful that you don't step into a leadership position in ministry just because you love doing that ministry. Okay? It's one thing to love singing. It's another thing to be the leader of the music ministry. It's one thing to love working with children. It's another thing to be in charge of the whole operation. When you step into leadership, you take on a burden of one responsibility, and two, criticism. You will be criticized. And some people just, they say, I can't handle criticism, so I would not make a good leader. It's good to know that about yourself, okay? Again, leadership must be earned over time. You just, you start serving, and people recognize uh, your leadership ability. Um, Now, let me point this out. Um, leaders and administrators. It would be great for them to team up and work together. In fact, because most, most leaders are somewhat deficient in administration and some administrators can, can get caught up in the details so much that they can lose sight of the big picture. So I know of one church that says before we start an official ministry, we need a leader and an administrator um, before we'll even launch this ministry. Because uh, the, the leader, he, here's the leader's concern with the administrator. They're busy. They're organizing. But the leader steps back and says, they're arranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's nice that they're all in order, but we're going down. Okay? The administrator looks at the leader and says, he's just sitting there. What's he doing? Now the leader says, I'm thinking. Now grab a deck chair. Come on, help us here. So they can drive one another crazy. But I think leaders over time really appreciate the details of the administrator. And hopefully the administrator appreciates the vision of the leader. So here's some practical questions. Ministry leaders, um, do you need an administrator to help you? Rather than thinking you need to do it all yourself, might somebody with the gift of administration be able to help you? Okay. Maybe you have the gift of administration, but you go, I don't want to be the leader. What ministry could you lend your organizational skills to? Not to take over, but to help. Okay, let me see if we can, uh, should we save these? This is going to be a longer series. Yeah, let's, are you sweating? Are you dying? You're dying. Are people sleeping? 
How many of you say go on? How many of you say we're done? <laughs> How many of you need a nap? <laughs> All right, we're, we're going we're gonna to pause it here, and then um, this, this could, could be a little bit longer. But uh, here's, the, um, here's the question I want you to ask. Do I have the gift of administration? Do I have the gift of leadership? Am I a teacher? Might God be calling me to be an elder? Now, we haven't covered all, all of these yet, um, but I really, I, I don't want this to be a series where we go, that was really interesting. I want it to be a series where we go, I think that might be me. What's my next step? All right, let me pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord, again, it is amazing how you have arranged the parts of the body of Christ, all different, yet dependent. And Lord, we want to bring you honor and glory by discovering our gifts, by serving one another with those gifts. And uh, Lord, may we not do it for our glory, but totally for yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.